But what do all doors have in common? Let's see if you get this. What do, or do all doors that I know of have in common? What was that? Open and close. Good. That was too easy. What else do they have in common? Knob. That's true, but that's not the right answer. Don't you hate teachers that do that? Okay. What's almost 99.9% .9 of all doors have? Hinges. Okay. That's what we're going to get into this morning. And here's what I love about this. When I think about the hinges and why this is so critical, if you open up and you start reading all those books of prophecy, Isaiah, major prophets, all the way down to even today, Malachi, a way to approach every book is to realize it's like God's opening up a book, opening up a door through his prophets, and there's three hinges. And here are the three hinges. I'll just give you the answers, and we're going to go through Malachi. They always issue the first hinge is the wake-up call. There is a wake-up call, like you better wake up. There is something coming, and you need to understand that. So as you open up any prophecy, you ask yourself, what's the wake-up call? The second thing that every prophecy does is he, he issues the, the wake-up call, and then he says, okay, here's the brutal truth. Right now, here's what you need to get straightened out in your life. That's the second hinge. And here's the third hinge that I love. You need to take immediate action. And every prophet will say, here's what you need to do. So when we go through Malachi today, I want you to think about hinges and God opening up this door. And the first hinge is simply this. He issues a wake-up call. So go over to Malachi chapter 1, and let's just listen carefully to what the wake-up call is. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due him? If I am the master, where is the request due me? Says the Lord Almighty. Let me pause there. If you're taking notes, if you actually write in your Bible, I do, write 24. 24 times in Malachi is this phrase, God Almighty. You know what that means? I love Greg's devotional. It means God of armies. It means God is there to constantly protect you and hover over you. God Almighty, the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priest, who show contempt by my name. And here's how they did it. You defiled the food of my altar. You ask, how have I defiled you? And the Lord said this, when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Verse 9, now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you? Says the Lord God Almighty. There he is again. What's the problem? Very simply. They are bringing, actually, the most basic form of worship is bringing sacrifices, and the priests would alter those. And the most important thing is, as you bring those sacrifices, you bring the best. I mean, we know that all through Scripture. We know that you bring the best. We know as you approach Passover, you are to present what kind of lamb? Perfect. We know that Jesus is the what? Perfect lamb. And they're bringing these blind these broken animals, because what are they doing? They're cutting corners. Now, to them, it's no big deal. But from God's perspective, it is, you're giving me leftovers. How can you possibly be giving me leftovers? I have created you. I've made you a nation. I love you. I adore you. I am Lord Almighty. And the most basic form of sacrifice, you don't even get that right. You're bringing broken animals to me. 
And you, you get them spinning saying, I, I don't understand what I've done wrong. And the deal is, you're not giving God your best. Leftovers. Now, I'll be honest. Uh, my wife is a really good cook. Uh, you can probably tell that. My wife's a really good cook. And there are cer- Somebody laughed really loud. <laughs> now, here's the deal. There are certain things that are great the next day. For example, chili. Not Indiana chili. I'm from Illinois. What's up with the noodles? But that's a whole other sermon. Okay. But I love to eat it the next day. But in, as a general rule, leftovers are not the best option. Would you agree with me on that? Matter of fact, have you ever ate at a restaurant called leftovers? Because it's illegal, okay? And yet, in the most basic leftover situation in life, they deal with God that way. Can you believe that? That you would give God your leftovers. Matter of fact, I read about a little six-year-old boy that didn't think a minister was bringing his best. And here's what the situation was. This preacher is preaching, and this little six-year-old boy is getting really fidgety. First, he nearly fell asleep, and then he's getting super fidgety, and he's bored stiff. How many have ever gone through that as a child? Do you remember that? I didn't say today. I mean, gone through that as a child. And then you know as a child, I remember this, is you would usually get the look first from your mother. And that was that look like, you know, I'll kill you. So it's kind of like that look. And then you'd get the look from your father like, I'm serious. She will kill you. You know, so you'd have kind of the dual look. So that little six-year-old got those looks. And on the way home, he's confused because he's doing the best that he can. And here's the question that I've been asked a hundred times at least. The little boy asked, what else does that preacher do except preach a boring sermon on Sunday morning? And so here's the dad's answer. I thought it was a good answer. The dad said, you know, he does a lot of things. You know, people that are hurting, they come talk to him. He does funerals. He does weddings. uh, He goes to a lot of meetings. And it is really hard to present a message to the public. You know what the little boy said? And sometimes it's really hard to listen. Have you ever felt like that? (laughs) Now, we all know how hard it is to always give God our best. But that's exactly what he's called of us, to give God our best. Now, let's get serious for just a moment. If you look all the way back in the book of Genesis, and you get to Genesis chapter 4, you know what you find out in Genesis chapter 4? This real conflict is so real. Remember Cain and Abel? And remember Cain actually killed his brother? What was that whole argument about? You remember what it was about? Cain didn't bring God the first or the best fruits. His brother did. And he got so jealous, he actually killed his brother. And you run all the way back to what was the root cause? Because one brother refused to give God his best. So let me step on a few toes. How are you doing in that regard? Do you really feel like you're giving God your best? Or this week, as you were taking communion, did you struggle with this thought? You know, God, seriously, I'm giving you my leftovers. I'm not giving you my best. Because if that's what you're struggling with, you need to understand that mankind has always struggled with giving God their best. I want to share with you a story. You remember a few weeks ago, I told you about uh, in the the city of Philadelphia, these famous, it's called the Art Museum, and there's these famous steps. Here's an aerial view of Philadelphia uh, Art Museum. People from all over the world come to these steps. They run up these steps because of the movie Rocky, okay? If you remember that scene, he bound up the steps. We talked about that. And there's a book about all these people who've run up these steps. These journalists followed people for an entire year. This is one of the individuals. Her name is 
Her nickname is Rev Nellie, and uh, her real name is Eleanor Green. Now, let me tell you why I love her story. When she was graduating from high school, her dream was to work full-time in a church. And on her way to college, her mom had an accident, flipped the car three times. She received serious mental damage. She was paralyzed for the rest of her life. Her lungs were punctured. Her heart stopped two times, but she survived. She went on to get her degree and actually went on to get two degrees. Her second degree was from Yale School of Divinity, where she was ordained as a deacon. She worked her entire life, still does, in the church. Now, here's where it gets amazing. She burns to preach, but she can barely blow out a candle. So here's what she does. On her computer, she meticulously types out every word that will be preached. It takes her six weeks to prepare one message. And somebody listens to all of this, to her notes. They take it, and they communicate her notes to that congregation. Now, here's what I love. Every year, she wants to inspire people. So here's what she does. She picks a spot somewhere in Philadelphia, and she takes a picture, and she wants to inspire people, so she'll take that picture somewhere that she can send Christmas cards to everybody, encouraging them, don't give up. And so here's her friends carrying her up the steps of Philadelphia. 150 Christmas cards will go up from Rev. Nellie saying, don't you dare give up. You know what I call that? That's somebody giving it their best. I think of all the worthless excuses I use for God. You know, Jesus Christ arose from the dead. And seriously, sometimes we don't even get out of bed. Think of all the excuses we use not to give God our best. Second hinge, and I think this one is critical, is brutal honesty. Go over to Malachi chapter 2, and let me start with verse 1. And now this admonition I have for you, O priest, if you don't listen, if you do not set your heart and honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you. I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor God. Let me just pause there. John Maxwell says this, and I love this quote. Good leaders don't settle for less than excellence. They don't merely set goals. They set standards that raise the bar for everyone else. Do you agree with that? Anybody can set goals. But when you go to the next level and say, no, I'm not about setting goals. I'm about setting standards. I'm about raising those standards because God deserves our best. And you know where it starts? This is where it gets tough. Leadership. If you look at the whole history of Israel, what is the problem? It's leadership. It's not leaders that are striving to be like Christ. It's leaders that are doing it their own way. It's leaders that don't practice what they preach. It's leaders that don't have integrity. Malachi says, you want to talk about the brutal truth? Let's start with your leaders. Let's start with your priest. Remember you're bringing these lame animals for sacrifice? That should never have happened. Because all it took is for a priest to say, no way. You are not bringing that to God. You are not going to get away with that. But instead, maybe they got a little money under the table. Who knows? They just let it happen. And I want you to notice what the priests were guilty of. They were guilty of, first of all, not honoring the name of God. And then look at verse 3. How many of you here grew up in the country? Because if you grew up in the country, good, you're going to understand verse 3. 
Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants, and I will spread on your faces the what? Offal from the festival sacrifices. What is offal? Anybody? Well, you're in church. You're having a hard time with this. Okay. It's manure. Did you ever watch anybody do that? My mom actually did this. We'd have a cat or a dog that would use the restroom in the house, and I can still remember my mom grabbing that animal, wiping his nose in it. She was a lovely woman. Okay, she'd wipe and then kick it out. My sister would be crying. I still remember, oh, Mom, don't do that to the cat. I'm like, don't do it to me. You know, you know what I'm saying? Okay, here's the deal. God is getting in their face. He said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do with these leaders. Do you understand this? Do you understand what you're doing to me? That's not going to happen. To the point that they understand God is very serious about leadership. I love this article from Ray Pritchard. And here's what he said about symptoms of a lukewarm church. First of all, he said there's inadequate preparation. You can always tell a lukewarm church when we don't take seriously preparing for worship. You do realize that on the Jewish calendar, long before the uh, Sabbath begins, they begin that the night before the Sabbath begins. In other words, is your heart prepared long before you get to worship? I know during the summer how hard it is to actually come to church and have energy. Uh, we stay up late. We travel. We do just so many things over the summer season. I get that. And I would be a hypocrite to say that there are some Sunday mornings I am absolutely wiped out. I get that. But if that becomes a pattern, that's not a good pattern. I think you genuinely need to say on Saturday night, am I in any way preparing my heart for worship? Because if you don't prepare your heart for worship, you'll get into the second symptom, and that is half-hearted participation. You know what Sunday morning is? Surviving. When is that going to let out? And here's how you know you're in survival mode. You get really upset about things, honestly, that don't even matter. Is it just me, or are the drums a little too loud this morning? I don't know, but the coffee wasn't hot. It was warm. You know the greeter, way too friendly, you know. And then on the way home, if you're complaining about those things, guess what just happened? You are slipping into half-hearted participation because you're just going through the motions. And then I love the last one. He said, you can always tell because there's improper motivation. What's the worst motivation for going to church? Why do young people drop out at an alarming rate when they go to college? You know what it is? Guilt isn't the greatest motivation. How many of you, be honest, when you were growing up were guilted into going to church? Am I the only one? Good. Three of you were guilted. Okay. <laughs> this is an easy, easy thing to fall into because it's easy to feel guilty. I go to church because I got to get my mom off my back. I go to church because grandma just keeps pleading with me to go to church. So I go out of guilt. But I'm just telling you, guilt isn't substantial. Guilt isn't going to hold you in there. Guilt is not enough. What's your motivation? Your motivation is Jesus Christ died for me. And I owe him everything. And when I come, even when I don't feel like it, I come because I'm broken. I come because I know that there are other people there, and they're broken. I know that there may be somebody who desperately just needs a hug or a handshake or just to know that they're there for me. I go because Jesus Christ died 
for me. That's my motivation. That's what will get you up out of bed. And without that motivation, I'm telling you, you'll just slowly slide into just going through the motions. And God isn't happy when we go through the motions. We need leaders that are true leaders. I want to share with you an individual that I think is a leader. You may not like him at all. You don't have to boo, but his name's Peyton Manning. But Manning did something that, I'll be honest with you, very, very few athletes I've ever seen do in their entire life. And you may remember it. When he came back to Indianapolis and they released him, he did something that most million-dollar, multi-million-dollar athletes never do. You know what he did? He cried. That's a good one. He cried. And here's what he said that, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I started crying in the car. I had a meeting. It was a little embarrassing. And he said, from the bottom of my heart, and then he got choked up and he said, I want to thank you for letting me be your quarterback. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but I remember thinking, wow, we don't hear leaders say that enough. We don't hear leaders say genuinely, it's an honor to do what I do. I just want you to know from the bottom of my heart that it's an honor to be able to pastor here on the West Side. It's an honor. It's an honor for any leader to be able to communicate God's word and to share with God's people. It's the greatest honor. And I think that's why God is so upset with these priests is what a remarkable honor you have to represent me for the people and you're taking it for granted. When you take leadership for granted, you're in trouble, huge trouble. And the last hinge is simply this, take immediate action. Chapter 3, and then drop down to verse 6. And the Lord do not change, O you, O descendants of Jacob, do not be destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees, and you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. But you ask, how do we return? Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? You ask, then how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Now let me just pause there. God is saying, you need to take immediate action. I love this quote by Nolan Bushnell. Nolan Bushnell uh, is the co-founder of Atari and Chuck E. Cheese. Okay? So this guy's brilliant. I mean, any guy that comes up with Chuck E. Cheese is brilliant. But here's what he says. Everyone who's ever taken a shower has an idea. It's the person who gets, off, gets out uh, and gets out of the shower, dries off, and then does something about it that makes a difference. Isn't that true? We've all had great ideas in the shower. He said, but the person who gets out, they dry themselves off, and then they get out there and get something done. They make a difference. And let me tell you, this is a huge thing. Because here is the nation of Israel, and he's saying, God is saying to them, here's where you need to take immediate action. Let's talk about your wallet. Because this is where priorities begin. What are you doing with your money? Now, I'll tell you, there's not a preacher alive who loves to preach about money. Why? Because people don't like ministers who talk about money. And yet we know it's a priority. We know it's a priority because it's a heart issue. It isn't a financial issue. It's a heart issue. And what's interesting when he talks about tithes, matter of fact, it's interesting if you drop down to verse 10, it's the only time that God says, test me. It's the only time in the entire Bible that you hear that phrase, test me. In other words, it may not make sense to you, but you need to understand that if you prioritize and you give the first fruits to God, the very first check you write, you write it to God 
amazing things are going to happen. But if you do it any other way, it will not work. I guarantee it. I truly believe that more is caught than taught. I learn more from watching my mom than actually the words that my mom shared with me. And my mom grew up. Uh, my dad died when I was four. So we lived on a Social Security check. And those of you that know anything about Social Security know that's not much. But I can remember watching my mom early, every Sunday morning, writing a check. And more than once, I'm like, what are you doing? We have no money. And it didn't matter. My mom would constantly, and it wasn't until I was about 17 or 18, I'm like, Mom, what are those checks? She goes, those are my tithing checks. I'm like, every week, you mean to tell me a tenth of everything that comes in, you, you give it to the church? She said, absolutely, that's what I do. And you know, my first job, I don't even know why, I started tithing when I was in high school. And that was not popular with my friends. I mean, I remember them going, Robertson, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't even know. I don't, why are you doing it? I don't know. You know, my mom does it. It just seems like a thing to do. But I'll tell you what my mom taught me right out of the gate, and this is critical. If you wait until the end and you'd say, God, I'm going to give you what's left over, guess what's left over? Not much. But if you say, God, I'm going to give it to you right out of the gate. Now, let me just start right here. Let me stop and make this very valuable point. You may be at a point in your life like, I'm not doing that. I can't do that. Start somewhere. Just even if it's a percentage, consistently start somewhere. Because why do you give? Now, here's why you give to the church. You don't give to the church so that the preacher can drive a nice car. That's the misconception. People are like, I'm not going to give to the church. It's just for buildings. It's for bricks. No, no, no. It's for ministry. Because when we all work together, it allows us to do amazing things for Christ. That's why we give. That's why he asked Israel to give, so that they could bless the orphans, they could bless the widows, so that they could bless the world. And so God said, if you really want to take immediate action, let's start with, here's the tough one, let's start with your money. And if Malachi were standing here today, I think he'd say the very same thing. Let's start with our money. Speaking of money, let's just put things in perspective. There was a Gallup poll, I love this, there was a Gallup poll, and they asked individuals what it would take for them to feel as though they were rich. So do you understand the question? No matter what their income, what would it take for you personally to feel like you were rich? Those that were making 30000 a year, what do you think the number was? Anyone want to guess? 60. If I made 60000 I'd feel pretty rich. When they asked somebody making $2.5 you've already figured it out, they said, oh, to feel rich? I mean, wealthy, taken care of? About $5 million. Everybody I surveyed, it was very consistent. If I can make double what I'm making, I'm out of the woods, okay? Maybe for some of you, you're thinking, well, if I get to dream a little, you know, I'll, I'll take a lot. But no, most people get right down to it and say, no, if you double what I make. So see, we never have enough. We never have enough. Now, I'm going to share with you three pictures, and I want you to look at this. There's an amazing book that I, I've got. And what they did is these journalists went all around the world, and they asked individuals and these are all middle-class families, that's what they targeted, to put every possession they have in their front yard, okay? Put everything in your front yard, and let's see what it looks like. This is Ethiopia. So that's every possession in their yard, okay? The next one, this is Israel. So they pulled everything up out of their condo, and that's Israel. Now buckle up, this is 
America. Yeah. That's Texas, so don't laugh. But anyway, here's what's interesting. You look at that and think, oh, my land, I think I've got more than that guy. You know who has more storage units than anybody else in the world? You can probably figure that one out. Okay. Here's the real question. Here's what Malachi was asking. Do you own stuff or does stuff own you? Do you own stuff or does stuff own you? All of us have to wrestle with that. And I, I, I got to be honest, Marie and I, we were having this discussion. Our garage, I am embarrassed by what our garage has become. Our daughter got married and it's embarrassing. I'm opening up, I'm like, what, the whole neighborhood thinks we're having a garage sale every day. You know what I'm saying? But I, I bet I'm not alone. I bet you have areas where you're like, what happened? It's because stuff takes our, it just takes over our life. So I want you to think about this message of taking immediate action to the point of your own stuff. Now, I've been thinking a lot about how to close out this whole series on the minor prophets, because this, this is heavy. These sermons have been really, to me, heavy about uh, the nation of Israel and how they're out of control. And, and I'm big on this, is whenever you come to the conclusion of something like this, I think the most important thing we can do is pray. So I've asked some individuals to come up and help me with this, as we're going to do something special here to close out this series on prayer. And here's what we're going to do. Um, I love this quote by F.B. Meyer. Come just as you are. We challenge you to pray big, bold prayers. The greatest tragedy in life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. 